This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Everyone's a critic on BFM 89.9. Hello, you're listening to Everyone's a Critic. I'm Sharmila Ganesan and today I'm joined by writer, playwright and translator Adriana Nordin Manan for today's review. Uh, welcome to the show, Adriana. Hi, Sharmila. Thank you for having me. And today we are going to be reviewing a proper play, like, you know, caliber stuff. Pulitzer Prize winning, uh, the movie adaptation won an Oscar. We're reviewing A Streetcar Named Desire, which is being staged by KL Pack from the 19th to the 27th of March. Very important to say, it's the Mandarin adaptation of the play, um, so which adds a layer of excitement, right? Um, and so we were, needless to say, quite excited to catch this. I'll be quite upfront. This was a really nice experience for me. Um, I've said this a lot in recent performance reviews that um, going back to live theatre has been exciting. And I think going back to live theatre for this kind of like a meaty, proper three-act play was quite something. And, and it was um, well worth it because of, you know, Great cast, great set, um, just the whole theatre experience. Lah. Oh, that, that's I guess, yeah, how I would put it. I felt, uh, as I was reflecting the day after, it felt that uh, it felt like a very full experience, you know. And then uh, the fact that it's been uh, a rarity for a long time to be able to have that experience just really, I think, accentuated it. And I was like, what a fun evening out that I had, yeah. So just to run through the uh, the cast and credit list, as it were. So it is directed by Joe Hasham. This is the fourth time he's directing Streetcar Named Desire. It's, of course, written by Tennessee Williams. And let's see. It stars Ruby Faye as Blanche, um, Aki as Stella, John Tan as Stanley, and Tan Li Yang as Mitch. And the play was translated by Minami Ku, assistant director Amelia Tan. So I just say that... Um, because I think it's quite important to point out that um, watching a translated version of a play like this adds a whole new dimension, right? And for me, automatically, it added a layer that I didn't expect. And and it was quite an interesting one. It almost felt like I was being told a story that I was very familiar with, a story that I knew I had watched um, on screen, particularly multiple times. Through a, a different lens, there's something about Mandarin and the way the way it conveys the um, southern passive aggression of the dialogue um, that, you know, even though I couldn't understand it, there was something about the body language and the performance that suited this story so very well. Um, I have to preface everything by saying I am a big fangirl of Tennessee Williams. He's, uh, yeah, he's a playwright who's just really inspired me in my own journey. And I think... Uh, so this, I was already in love uh, with, with the production and the idea of the story. And that's the thing. I think Streetcar Named Desire, I remember I watched a Malay version a few years ago. And even then I felt, and, and this is a, a running theme of my opinion of him, is that his works are really, really fit in, I don't know, present day Asian societies, if I can put mm. it that way. Like, like the, the, And I think it's really just the centrality of family conflict and and just desires and I guess dysfunction if you want to put it that way so it was it, like you I, I enjoyed it tremendously there was just something about it right that added layer and reputation how people view you um, class differences there's so much about this play that even today felt very very relevant um, and even though the the script itself retains the original so you know they're still in New Orleans they they're still from the south um, Stanley is still of Polish descent all of those things are retained and and I have some thoughts about that 
which I'll save for later. Um, but I think that overall, this is one of those productions where almost every element was very well thought out. Um, it comes together really well. And so it adds to an already really strong script. Um, I wanted to start with, I think, the most obvious, the performances. These are big, big characters, right? Um, what worked for you and what perhaps could have been done a little better? Um, I was uh, really, I think, I thought it was a great and a very strong ensemble uh, to begin with overall. Um, Ruby Faye as uh, Dubois Zaujie, as they call her, <laughs> uh, and a few uh, instances. Um, I, I, it, I, she grew on me, I'll put it that way. And the only reason I'm saying this is, again, because I thought her portrayal wasn't as fragile, uh, of Blanche wasn't as fragile as I would have expected. Um, and then I had to remind myself that Adriana, act actors get to uh, interpret, different actors interpret uh, the same role differently. And that's where the, the richness of acting comes from. And yeah, so I enjoyed her performance. I think the ones that I had a bit of questions about were actually um, Stanley. Uh, I thought Stanley, um, I, I was I was hoping that there might be a bit more nuance to his performance. But again, uh, I think and and uh, maybe because the I'm not sure if they uh, the version of the script that was performed was maybe shortened, you know, or, or, or yeah. Um, so maybe that had something to do with it. Uh, but overall, other than that, I uh, Stella Aki as Stella. Um, I wish there was more of her somehow. I think that there was something uh, I didn't see enough of the. I don't know what it was the the the, the captive woman in 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 many ways, uh, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. I guess I felt like I could have seen more of that. But other than that, overall, just just overall, it was like a really strong ensemble, really strong company. You said strong ensemble a few times, and I actually think that whatever the cast might lack individually in certain scenes, they actually come together really well. Because as as you were talking, um, I thought about how I really enjoyed Aki's performance as um, Stella, but. Mm -hmm. A lot of that enjoyment is in watching the interplay between Blanche and Stella. Together, Ruby and Aki have this great... There are moments of tenderness between them, mm -hmm. moments of passive aggression, largely from Blanche's side, um, which all work out so beautifully. So the chemistry between them is great. And so because of that, even though um, there are some scenes that felt a little truncated or some scenes where it felt like you don't quite get the kind of uh, development or, or ramping up of, of the action, uh, the chemistry between them worked. Um, now, Stanley, John Tan as Stanley was interesting because it's such a tough character, right? Like on the one hand, it's been played by like Marlon Brando, the Stella scene. Like how do you do that without referencing, self-referencing? And then the character is just not, in, especially in today's landscape, very difficult to like, very difficult to empathize with. The things he ultimately ends up doing is just deplorable. So it's a tough one. Um, and I think that my struggle perhaps with um, this version of Stanley is that it doesn't create in you enough of those mixed feelings that that he is a brute, but the, the wanting to understand where that brutishness comes from, uh, this doesn't maybe go far enough. Uh, and I would have liked to see a little bit of that greyness um, to, to make us almost feel like, well, I, I can see why Stella, despite everything, wants to stay with him. 
But again, when you see them all together, um, you know, there are these great scenes of um, Stanley and his friends playing poker or, uh, you know, roughhousing with his friends or even his sort of like sexual tension with Blanche, with work, which works really well. So um, I go back to the whole individually there are certain scenes which could have been done better but as a as a as an overall impression i walked away thinking wow this was a really good ensemble they come together really well uh, i just wanted to add since we're talking about the ensemble um i also wanted to mention amelia chen and freddie tan as you yes. and steve i mean even though they they you know they were they were minor characters but I, I especially appreciated Eunice. So Amelia's performance of Eunice, um, you didn't. She was one of those characters that you don't see a lot, but really actually helps move the story along a lot. So I appreciated that, and of course, all the other uh, ensemble members. I yeah, hats off to all of them. I wanted to bring up Mitch just before we go on break um, because mm-hmm. he's an important character, and I did think that. Um, I can't quite remember the original script to the extent that I'm not sure whether every scene with him had been included. Um, But I do feel like his character was one that I would have appreciated a little bit more development in. The actor was great, but I did think that we didn't get nearly enough of him to understand uh, his character arc. Uh, yeah, that that's right. Actually, I would agree. I was thinking about about that character because the next day I started, you know, just googling the like, different research articles and everything, and I was like, hmm, was I supposed to end up uh, feeling this way about Mitch the way I felt about Stanley, for example? So I wasn't sure about that. We're reviewing A Streetcar Named Desire, which is currently playing at KL Pack. Uh, it's on until the 27th of March, directed by Joe Hasham. If you're interested to get tickets, you can head on over to cloudticks.co. Let us know, are you a fan of A Streetcar Named Desire? Have you watched it on stage? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Best flipping moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. You're listening to Everyone's a Critic with Sharmila. And today I'm joined by writer, translator, playwright Adriana Nordin Manan. And together we're reviewing A Streetcar Named Desire in Mandarin. Uh, and it is being staged in KL Pack until the 27th of March. So we talked about the performances, but this play, I think, has a lot of its strength also drawing from other elements, just the the mise-en-scene that's on stage, uh, the feel and, and the direction. So I thought we could talk about that. And I wanted to start with, hands down, one of my favourite things about it, which is the set. I loved the set. It's it's not a set that has a lot of movement. In fact, it's literally their apartment with a little bit of the other, the, like a facade in the side of the other houses that are around them. But the way the characters move around the set, the way it looks, the way, um, you know, you're sort of almost seated inside the set itself. I loved it. Um, the set designer is Ziying Chua and, and I thought she did a really good job. Yeah, I enjoyed the set a lot. I think, um, and I, and I liked the the layers between like there's the main area, and then just that you know there's that little stairs leading up to like Eunice's uh, Eunice's and Steve's apartment, for example. So yeah, I like that spatial, um, just like distribution in terms of height. Um, and yeah, as you said, I like uh, I agree with you the whole how you could go around and around it, and of course the character that shows us that is like the flower seller. Um, just how she moves from the different the different corners of the of the set, um, yeah, I thought it was great, and yeah, definitely props to 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 the team. 
it got me thinking a lot about how the characters move in and out and how they need to be so aware that there's a wall here, there's a door here. This is, you know, because some of them are really there physically and some are implied. Um, and just the choreography of the movement, which because the actors do it so naturally, it doesn't strike you as choreography. But of course it is, right? Because they've learned to move around this set in a certain way. Um, I Once you kind of see it, it, it becomes really interesting to see how that plays into how they react and how they interact with the set, uh, which I loved. And this is the kind of thing about live theatre that you don't get in a movie or on a digital performance, right? Um, what about the overall direction or the staging of the show um i mean again it's a play that's been staged multiple ways multiple times what did you make of this particular iteration um the word smooth comes to mind um everything seemed quite seamless and smooth yeah no i yeah i just i just enjoyed it uh, a lot it was it, uh, it went for three hours um so there was that uh, worth saying with two intermissions with. yeah, yeah it, 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 that's something to contend with uh, but I thought I thought the direction was really good. I wish again, and I'm fully aware of my limitations. I don't know how the like language, uh, how the language may be translated uh, to to native Mandarin speakers, for example. Uh, but overall, this the the whole thing came together. I I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I really want to talk about the language a little bit more. But um, in terms of the direction, though, I just wanted to say. Three hours didn't feel like three hours, which is great. You know, it goes by like it's so dynamic. The, the, the What's happening on stage feels so gripping that you don't feel the time. The only part that flagged for me was the last act. Um, the ending somehow dipped in energy a little bit. And I think it. you mentioned earlier how Blanche isn't quite the fragile creature that you'd kind of expect her to be. And I think that might be why ultimately what happens to her in the end, where the story ends up, feels a little bit rushed, a little bit like it didn't quite earn that ending. And and I can't put my finger on what didn't work for me. It just felt like the sort of the energy and the the emotion of the earlier scenes, by the end, I didn't quite feel that anymore. Mm, now that I'm thinking of it, I think maybe uh, maybe it was too abrupt or something. It didn't seem like a build up. It just seemed like a little slow, mm. uh, slow descent. Maybe I, yeah, I yeah. Instead of a slow, sure. instead of a slow descent, it felt like a. It's you know, it's that thing where you know the play and you know how it ends, and so you see it coming, but you don't want to see it coming. And mm. and somehow with this play, I saw it coming, and it there it was. It yeah. didn't kind of, it didn't kind of do it in a way that felt organic um, and, and yeah and, and that was my only small um, issue with it in terms of pacing in terms of mm -hmm. that smoothness that towards mm -hmm. the end it, it sort of just hiccuped a little bit um, the language thing is interesting because I can't understand Mandarin either and I was wondering how much of it I I guess it's that that thing in me like how much am I missing out on by not being able to understand or appreciate the way in which the beauty of Tennessee Williams' script has been delivered in Mandarin. But on the other hand, there's an interesting interplay that, that now I'm watching their, their faces and their body language. Uh, and I think that adds a certain something to the experience. Oh, definitely. I think uh, it just, I mean, I, I didn't feel out of place. I mean, of course, uh, I should take that back. It did certain references and like the way they spoke about about Chinese people, for example, you know, it did, it did seem a bit like, oh, okay, now I'm, now I'm, I, I, I'm aware. 
um, that, you know, the language wasn't originally in Chinese. Uh, but I I just, I took the opportunity, as I do sometimes now when I listen to Mandarin uh, plays, uh, watch Mandarin plays, is because I'm learning Mandarin. So I try to be like, oh, that's how they say it. I, I understood this line. I understood that line. Just a little bit. And, but yeah, I did wonder. And one thing that I wondered was like, hmm, does this sound very Malaysian Mandarin? You know, I, I just, ah. I, that's a, you know, that nobody could really answer, you know, but uh, yeah, does it sound very Malaysian Mandarin? Like how, how would a, a mainland Chinese or, you know, speaker uh, appreciate it? How, how did it, how was it come across? I guess the, the, the breadth and the variety, the range of language was a question that I had. And it's just a question, it'll be rhetorical for me, <laughs> but just something nice to, to think of anyway. It got me thinking about the opportunities to perhaps push the idea of adaptation a little bit more um, because I thought, well, wouldn't this have been interesting if they had transplanted um, New Orleans for Shanghai or Hong Kong, um, of course, with, with, you know, the appropriate languages? Um, and what would that have looked like? You know, what, what would this story look like in a different community, in a different setting? Because obviously now that the language has been changed and, and the actors are so obviously uh, not white, um, what layer would that add? Because as you said, the culture, the um, that kind of um, societal structure within which they exist can quite adequately be transplanted onto an Asian setting. So I wonder whether, um, I mean, it might be sacrilegious, but whether Tennessee Williams could be, you know, small shifts to location, small shifts to references and what that could have looked like. I, I found myself thinking that would be quite interesting. It would definitely be interesting. And I think, I dare say, I would turn up to that show as well. Oh, 100%. <laughs> because, I would because too. Because like, Tennessee Williams... Uh, Tennessee Williams is just a genre on his own and, you know, just to like figure it out and be like, how are people taking your stories, Tennessee, all these years later? One thing I did want to highlight is that I thought it was a, uh, really a miss that the translator was not credited fully in the program or on their board as part of the creative team. I mean, she was mentioned here and there, uh, but the fact that Minami Ku didn't get her place in the uh, standalone bio and everything in the program, I thought that was uh, very unfortunate. No, I think especially when you think about the amount of work that's involved in translating something like this. And and as we said, the uh, nuances when it comes to conveying, again, something which we are not perhaps adequately equipped to judge, but I would assume takes a lot of thought and a lot of um, subjective choices, right? Um, I agree. And that's something that I would have liked to see more of. Overall, if someone hadn't watched this ever um, and didn't really know very much about Streetcar Named Desire, um, how would you how would you explain or how would you describe this and, well, basically tell them they should watch it? Uh, I would tell them it's a classic. It's, uh, it's just one of those things that doesn't come through our local theatre circuit often. And now that it's here, whatever shape or form it is, you will come out uh, appreciating it. And I think you should definitely catch it. That's actually a great point, and, and and I'm going to steal it and just expand on it. There you go. Yeah. Because um, you're right, you know, you don't get a lot of opportunity to see a quality production of these plays. And and I, while I 100% am a supporter of local theatre, new theatre and experimental stuff, there is a charm and a, a sort of real um, value in watching these, the grandmasters of the stage or whatever you want to call them. And so this is an opportunity to catch it and, and in a way that I think adds a layer of freshness to it as well. Thank you, Adriana, for watching this and reviewing it with me. Thank you, Sharmila, for having me. 
We've been talking about a streetcar named Desire, a Mandarin adaptation that's currently showing at Kuala Lumpur Performing Arts Centre. It's on until the 27th of March. If you'd like to get tickets for that, you can head over to cloudticks.co and let us know, are you a fan of a streetcar named Desire or Tennessee Williams for that matter? Have you watched it on stage? You can WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.